Thank you again for, for being here tonight. You could have been anywhere else, but you're here tonight with a, with a bunch of friends and probably some family and definitely some strangers and maybe some family who are strangers. But, uh, but thanks for being here. And if you're, like, if you're like me or like my family at all, there's probably some Christmas traditions that you're, you're doing or you've been doing along the way over the last couple of weeks. And maybe like some of you, one of our family's favorite traditions is to go around and look at Christmas lights. Some of you guys probably do that as well. And, and my wife, when we go out frequently, she'll make hot chocolate from scratch for us, for mom and dad. But the kids, they prefer the powdered stuff for some reason, probably because their brains aren't fully formed yet. Anyway, uh, but we'll go... They'll get in there. But uh, anyway... Uh, we get the cocoa and we go drive around and we look at all the houses, right, uh, of all the people who did way more to decorate their house than we did, right? And sometimes even to make it fun, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get a checklist, right? And we'll have a checklist of some stuff that we'll see along the way and see who can, uh, you know, see a, a Grinch or, or a Snoopy or maybe one of those moving deer, right, or a snowman or maybe, maybe something really Christmassy, like a big Darth Vader with a Santa hat on. I mean... Right, because nothing says Christmas like a guy who blew up planets and tortured his children and now he's got to wear a mask on his face to keep his, you know, folk from seeing his scars. Anyway, all right. But one of our favorite things to see when we're out is a nativity scene. Nativity scene. And we've, we've discovered over the years that there are a lot of varieties of nativities that people can have made in a variety of ways, right? I mean, there's the smaller ones, like the ones with just Mary uh, and Joseph and the baby Jesus. And then sometimes there's the smaller ones, excuse me, the larger ones with, you know, angels and shepherds. Uh, and somehow, somehow, you know, even the wise men make it in, even though they really weren't there that night, but that's all right. But no matter whether they're big or they're small or even even how much detail any of them ever have, I've noticed that there's always one character from the Christmas story that no one ever puts in there. There's one character that's never shown up in any nativity I've ever seen or probably you've ever seen. And once I mention his name, you'll think, oh, that's pretty much, you know, the way it's going to go. You, you may drive home at night, you'll see a nativity again, and you'll think, well, he's not on that one either. And this, this one character, this one person who never makes it into the nativity, even though everyone else is crammed in there, even though there's stars and bales of hay and donkeys and shepherds and angels and babies and, you know, moms and dads, is actually the person who's responsible for quite a lot of the accounts of Jesus' life and things that happened to him, some of the early activity. And that person is actually the bad guy in the story. He's sort of the real-life Darth Vader. And that person's name is King Herod. King Herod. Or as he was known in his day, Herod the Great. And Herod, man, Herod, Herod was something else. He was actually king of Judea where the Jews lived. But Herod, he wasn't Jewish. And that grated on the Jews' nerves terribly. He was a, a puppet king of Rome put in to rule over the Jews. And uh, he taxed the Jews brutally. He kept them impoverished. But he, did, he built them their temple. And that, that kept some of them off his back for a while. But Herod, man, Herod was, was incredibly shrewd. He was a master politician and let me just tell you one story to show you how shrewd that Herod really was and do you remember when you were in high school or maybe even college and when your teacher had you read this story or told you the story about Julius Caesar, right? And uh, maybe some of you got the Shakespeare version with the A2 Brute, you know, the A2 N.U. Brutus, and it's that story, all right? Well, Herod, Herod wanted to avenge the killing of Julius Caesar, 
All right. So here's what Herod did. He hooked up with Julius's nephew, a guy named Octavius, and Octavius's buddy, a guy named Mark Antony. And they, they went around and they destroyed everyone who had had a hand in the murder of Julius Caesar. But as their conquest went on, a particular problem emerged, which you may know about or maybe that you've seen coming. But as the conquest went on, there began to be a conflict between Octavius and Mark Antony. You know, the guy with the famous wife, right, whose name was? Yeah, Cleopatra, that's right. Well, there was only, as it turned out, only room for one sheriff in Rome. And so Octavius and Herod literally came to blows over who would rule Rome. And, and Herod, Herod was forced to choose he, who he was going to support. And Herod, Herod chose poorly. <laughs> Herod bet on the wrong horse in that race. And he bet on Mark Antony and Cleopatra. And he had sent them lavish gifts. He, he hosted parties for them. He supported them militarily. <laughs> but his man... His man lost the civil war almost immediately, and then Mark Antony and his, his Caribbean queen, I mean his Egyptian queen, <laughs> hightailed it back to Alexandria, leaving Herod in Judea all alone, having to face the wrath of Octavius, now known as Caesar Augustus. And now, well, Herod, here, Herod's got three options now. Number one is he could just end his own life and get it over with. Number two, he could try to run and hide, but he'd probably be tracked down. Or number three, he could just stay put and hope the guys up top sort of forgot about his little insurrection and about, you know, his support of the guy who lost. But Herod, oh, Herod was brilliant. He didn't do any of those. He chose D, none of the above. You know what Herod did? Herod got on a boat and he went to go see Caesar Augustus, who was on the island of Rhodes at the time. And he basically knocked on Caesar's door and asked to be let in to see the most powerful man in the world, a man whom he had previously tried to kill. And as the story goes, everyone was so floored by his nerve and Caesar was so impressed by his nerve that he let him speak. And and then Herod got the floor and in that moment he made the speech of his lifetime and this is what he said. He said, Caesar, as you know, I was a friend of your enemy, Mark Antony. As you know, I was a loyal supporter of his through his rise through the civil war into the bitter end. So what you know about me from all of this is that when I am loyal to someone, I am loyal to them to the end, no matter what. And now, O Caesar, I pledge that same loyalty to you. Yeah, it's pretty good, huh? Pretty good speech, yeah. Well, Caesar was so blown away, he didn't just not kill him. He didn't just, you know, let him live and keep Judea. No, Caesar expanded Herod's territory. He gave him a place called Samaria as well. And that's Herod. Herod, yeah, pretty sharp. Shrewd, ambitious, power-hungry, absolutely a control freak. Herod had to be in charge. He had to be in control. He had to have everything his own way. He changed his own will four times. Do you know why? Well, first, the first person he left it to was his first wife, whom he became suspicious of and had put to death. The next three heirs of his will were three of his many sons, but he killed each of those in turn. And after that, well, I'm I'm pretty sure nobody wanted the will anymore, you know. Probably his sons were like, you know, no thanks, Dad. I'll just take the royal chariot, you know. The vacation home in the Mediterranean. Jimmy, Jimmy can have the will, you know. What... 
What Herod wanted, above all, was a legacy. What he wanted to be known as was the man. Have unquestioned status, be the the ruler of all he saw. He actually murdered so many Jewish rabbis. The rabbis quit coming to see him anymore to try to minister to him, convert him. He, 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 He killed so many people who he even thought that he that could oppose him. That by the time we meet him in the Bible... He's left in the dark about the very people that he's ruling over. He's killed so many of them and taxed the rest so heavily. He is despised by the whole nation. And that's where we meet him when the biblical accounts introduce Herod the Great to us. At the time we meet him, he's about 70 years old. His health is failing. He's got a kidney disease that's incredibly painful. And all he's concerned about at this point is what all people who only live for themselves had to live for at that point in their lives, which is their name, their family line, and their legacy. And in the middle of all of this, Herod gets the most disturbing and life-shaking news that a person like Herod could have gotten. And that is, one day, some people came to see him. You know the story. The Bible calls them magi. They were like these educated ruler-type king folk from the east. And they've got some news for Herod the Great because these magi have been studying the Hebrew Scriptures. They've figured out that now there's a baby that's been born, someone called the King of of the Jews, which was a problem after all, if your name was Herod, because that's what you were called. That's what your sons were going to be called. That's what you called yourself. You called yourself what? The king of the Jews. And when we finally meet King Herod, Herod the Great, Herod the king of the Jews, here's what it says. He said in Matthew chapter 2 verse 1, it says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose. We've come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, He was disturbed. Again, channeling Darth Vader once again. And all Jerusalem with him. Do you know why Jerusalem was disturbed? It's because when Herod was disturbed, when Herod got angry, bad things happened to you. But Herod, Herod stuffed down his anger for a moment. He he thinks clearly about what he's got to do to maintain power, which is to find out who and where this person is at the moment. And this is what he does next. Verse four, it says, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, "Uh uh-oh. This is incredible. I mean, five miles, right? Five miles from where Herod set up shop, there was apparently an insurrection going on. Apparently, these Jewish people were trying to take his kingdom away from him. Apparently, there's this little Jewish boy who could undo decades of his work to keep his life and kingdom together. Apparently, there was another king whose name would be more famous than his, and now it all clicked for Herod. For years, he had been hearing from those Jewish rabbis about their Messiah, uh, about some king promised for years. He had heard, though he didn't want to believe it, that there could come someone who could free Israel from Roman occupation. See, now it all came into focus for Herod. He knew exactly what was at stake. 
This was the one he'd been hearing about for years. So what does he do next? Verse 7, it says, Then Herod called the Magi secretly. I found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me that I too may go and worship him. See, Herod doesn't want to risk a massacre at this point. He just wants a location so he can assassinate his, particular, his potential rival. But the Magi go, they worship him, they get down on their knees before Jesus the toddler and give him gifts. And then it says, Matthew says, having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother, escape to Egypt, stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And now, as you're about to see, this is where the story turns. This is actually where you and I come into the story as well. Because the Magi and Herod, they both understand exactly what's going on here. Both of them knew in that little house, in that little body, in that little boy, there was something greater than them. See, the Magi understood rightly, and they worshipped. Herod understood rightly, and this is what he did says he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. See, he doesn't know which boy it is. So he goes after all of them. And do you see what's going on here? See, from the beginning, this person, Jesus, caused people to choose how they would respond to him. For some, for some like the Magi, the idea that God was sending himself down to earth to save the world and become the king humanity had always longed for but never gotten. Oh, that caused them to bow their hearts, knees, and give their lives. But for others like Herod, that same message caused others to do whatever it took to hang on to and maintain their failing heart and falling kingdom. But listen, I don't want to be too hard on Herod here because in a real way, a real way, there's a little Herod in all of us. There's a little Herod in all of us. See, Herod, here's what I know, Herod wouldn't have minded if the Magi would have said, hey, Herod, there's someone being born who can help you build your kingdom, right? And help you maintain control of all your stuff. Maybe build you a nice summer home along the way, right? And we we don't mind it when we hear from our culture a nice message like God exists to and wants to help you have the life you've always wanted. Wants to help you be the best you for you, right? We like that today, right? I mean, Herod, he wouldn't have minded if the Magi would have told him, hey, hey, Herod, buddy, I mean, there's someone about to be born who's going to be the helper of the Jews, right? I mean, like a Jewish sidekick, you know, kind of like a barista, maybe a nice, one of those nice butlers on Downton Abbey, right? But that's not what they told Herod today. What do they call him? Not the barista of the Jews, but the king, right? Not a butler, but they said a ruler is coming, Herod. And Herod couldn't take it. Why? Not because he misunderstood but because he understood exactly what was going on. 
the birth of Jesus Christ represented a personal threat to his personal kingdom and his personal name and his personal legacy. But the irony of the whole story is this. Can you see? The one who bowed up, the one who clutched his life and his wealth and his little backwater kingdom has been reduced to a footnote in the life of a Jewish carpenter. The only time Herod's story is only t- is ever told is in connection with the birth of Jesus. He's not remembered as Herod the builder. He's remembered as Herod the butcher. Herod the butcher. He's only remembered in history for how he responded to Jesus Christ. But the ones, by contrast, the Magi, who didn't bow up, but bowed down and gave away their riches and their loyalty, even though they were kings. Now, they're remembered forever on lawns and in homes and in buildings all over the world. And then, about 80 years after all of this story took place, a follower of Jesus's, a man by the name of John. John, at the end of his life, he's asked to tell what he saw and what he knew and what he heard. He's asked to look back and tell Jesus' story. But he didn't begin like Matthew began. No, John is looking back over his life. He's looking back over Herod and Rome and Caesar and the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of the one called Jesus of Nazareth, the real king of the Jews and king of the world. And this is what he said about it all. John 1 verse 4, in him Jesus was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. I love that. It's present tense. He says, Jesus' light still shines today. All the darkness of human history and all the darkness of the world today and all the Herods of history have not been able to put it out. And one day, someday, somebody will look back on your life and someone will be asked to tell your story And what the Bible says is that everyone's story, your story, in a real way, will either be like the Magi's or it'll be like Herod's. You'll be remembered in eternity for what you did with Jesus. Your story can either either be the story of someone finding what your heart has been longing for all along. A king, yes, a king, but who's humble. Behold your king, the Bible says. It's humble, riding on a donkey, being born next to, not born next to leaders, but shepherds. Behold your king, humble, and yet a ruler, yet a ruler. And your story can be like the Magi's, bending your heart, bowing your knee, and giving your heart's treasure to Jesus or it's going to be Herod's story. A story of a life that's built around clutching and grasping and maintaining control no matter what to the very end. Someone's going to tell your story. Someone's told the Magi. Someone told Herod's. What will it be? And my hope and my prayer for you this Christmas is that you, your story would be like the Magi's. That you'd say, yes, this is what I've been looking for all along. They were searching for something and their hearts found it. Would you tonight, would you consider taking a step maybe 
to re-engage with the person that your story really, really in the end revolves around, centered around. Re-engage with the person whose story is going to outshine and outlast you and outlive you. For some of you, that means maybe just taking a step towards coming back in this place, being here on this Sunday, be talking about what this church is about. For some of you, maybe that means being the leader in your home having your family and your kids back in a place like this or just another church. For for some of you, maybe that means opening your heart and giving up control of your life. You say, well, if I do that, man, Jesus is going to outshine me. Listen, he's already outshined you. You say he's going to be bigger than me. He's already bigger than you. See, the Magi got it and Herod got it choice is ours tonight. The light shines in the world, amen. It's outshine Herod, it's outshine Caesar, it's outshine Rome, it's outshine all of us. And really, aren't we glad for that? Let me pray for you as we close. Lord, I thank you for tonight. Lord, I thank you for these moments that we have together to reflect on who you are and what you've done. And Lord, I'm praying tonight Lord, as we sing a song here, as we just begin to reflect on why we're really here, on what tonight and tomorrow the whole thing's all about. That for some of us, it may just mean saying a simple prayer like, God, it's, it's just been a while. And I'd like for you to speak to me. Maybe that's some of you. Maybe for some of you, it's like, God, thank you for showing me something tonight. Help me to re-engage with your plan for my life. Some of you may be just saying, God, I don't even know if you really exist. I've seen a lot, seen too much, been hurt by people even in your name. But God, I'm open to whatever's really true and really real. And I want to know that. And God, my prayer as pastor here is that we would all bow our knees and our hearts and our lives before you like the Magi did and come giving gifts, come giving the best of our hearts and lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen.